0: This week on Forward, Jules and I discuss independent voters. What I meant to say on Bill Maher but didn't. Meta, Amazon, TikTok, Twitter, all of the tech companies. This week on Forward. Back, I am unfired, uh, <laughs> and you have a haircut. Oh well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for noticing, Jules. I appreciate it. I do get those every once in a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, got back from LA where I did Bill Maher. Uh, what did you think? How did I do?
1: I thought it was really cool. I I'm, I'm not an avid Bill Maher watcher, but I loved the panel discussion. So,
0: well, that's good because yeah. that's what I was a part of.
1: Yes, it was very good.
0: You know, I will say okay. So I'll just have some fun with this. Uh, the the best part of being there was that I really bonded with the other panelists and guests. Um, So we were all staying at the same hotel. I had drinks with them afterwards, Uh, really fun. And that actually has happened to me a number of times on Bill's show uh, where I connected with John McWhorter on Mm -hmm. the show. I've connected with different people who are co-panelists on the show. It used to be that Bill would host a cocktail party for everyone uh, every week where there's like a cast party and then friends of the show would just show up. Um, now they stopped doing that with COVID sad. Um, but the vibe was really positive. Uh, there, there were a couple of things I will confess to you that I wanted to get in that I wasn't able to get in.
1: Yeah. They were kind of shorter segments.
0: They were shorter yeah. segments because it got uh, consumed by the Oscars, uh, and uh, uh, the Oscars mm-hmm. aftermath. There's a lot on that. So, um, so I, I did talk about uh radicalization due to automation as connected to the loss of manufacturing jobs yep Um, but i I wanted to make a point about uh greater empathy for boys and men as i supplementing that um where it seemed to me that uh framing everything as like a zero-sum game between genders is a disaster and, and that helping Women helps men helping men helps women, uh, particularly when talking about boys and girls. Yep, um, cohesive relationship. Yeah, but you know the conversation didn't really take that turn because um, he kind of uh, you know talked about um, men relatively perfunctorily, in, in part because he knew I wanted to talk about it, so I didn't want to <laughs> all of a sudden start going down um, like this logical chain. So I, I kind of hit the automation radicalization point.
1: And who were the other two panelists it was lauren laura Cotes, who was an author and then laura
0: coates who's a, a cnn legal uh, analyst and then the other person is um nicole pearl roth is a cybersecurity reporter mm-hmm. uh, for the new york times and she had all this very fascinating information about our vulnerabilities um so that's what the one-on-one segment was about um both of them are great backstage
1: yeah the two questions that you guys covered was do you think Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is taking too long to press criminal charges really January 6th. The other conversation was more so about Judge Jackson nomination for Supreme Court and everything that kind of goes along with that. But for the January 6th hearings, um, the House Select Committee investigation is coming up. What are your predictions? Do you think anything's going to come from that?
0: I have low expectations, yeah. uh, honestly. So to the extent that something happens, I'd be positively surprised.
1: I completely agree. And then like... The most interesting discussion there was that the initial election, of course, is always the primary election, but specifically this coming election amongst the Republican Party is going to be major. And they were pressing you about who you think is going to be running in the Republican Party. But we see a lot a lot of unenthused, of course, Democrats, which was discussed mostly because.
0: Yeah, this is a 17 point enthusiasm. gap yes, Between Republicans and Democrats right now.
1: That that was crazy. So. All eyes are going to be on the Republican Party.
0: And the last time the gap was this big, I think 60 seats swung hands. Yes. And right now the uh, Democratic majority, I want to say, is something like 10 seats.
1: I feel like for young voters, too, this is very overwhelming because if you're a registered Democrat and you're kind of just observing what's happening within the Republican Party, how do you see that playing out within the Republican Party? And people maybe who aren't Trump loyalists how they can kind of well, make moves well, there. Well,
0: I mean, that's part of this, too, is that the, the Democrats ran against Trump for four years, yep. sort of reasonably was the president. Uh, and then now Republicans are running against Biden and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for Biden and the Democrats to run against Trump because Trump's nowhere on the ballot. Yes. People are generally very, very upset about what's going on in the country, uh, inflation being probably the biggest day-to-day problem. Um, so we all expect Republicans to have a very, very good November uh, and the enthusiasm is much higher among uh, Republicans than than, than Democrats. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's going to be borne out. I mean, it, it's going to be a very tough cycle. And so, the the question really is, where does that go in '24? In my opinion, yeah. like I feel like '22 is essentially uh, written. Uh, you know, not to say, I mean, we'll we'll still be involved in various races in '22 and try and make a difference uh, in. Heck, I mean, there's some primaries coming up, too, in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and as n- anyone who follows this podcast knows, like, a lot of the action is in the primaries because the generals are so uncompetitive.
1: Yep. So for you, thinking about, like, 2020 and how you coming in and hype you up was, was was so different for young people. First of all, you were kind of the first candidate who really talked about tech. And it was also the first candidate who really... You didn't seem like a party loyalist by any means. Oh, good. (laughs) Yes. Maybe that's a biased opinion. But I think also just seeing, yeah, these unenthused Democrats, it seems the perfect opportunity for something new to come in, something that's exciting. At the end of the day, there's a lot of ties between entertainment and politics, unfortunately. And it often feels like right now that people are kind of taking a step back from all the craziness that's happened within within the 2020 election and that something new and exciting needs to come in. So how do you see even like a, with this craziness within the Republican party and who is going to win there? Who how do you see a third new party coming exciting in?
0: Exciting Republican who's going to run against Trump or the new yeah. exciting third party? Which which one is it or both?
1: Kind kind of both. It's just more so so the unenthused Democrat voters. There's going to be a lot of attention on the Republican party like we just discussed, but it's kind of the perfect entry for a third party and how you came in so strong within the 2020 election basically a complete outsider. How do you see a third party coming in with a strong impact and honestly getting a lot of young voters who we can talk about this too. There's a ton of young independent voters.
0: Well, so this is the question Jules, which is, Mm -hmm. so whenever anyone thinks third party, what they think of is presidential. Yep. Uh, And in some ways that's logical because that's what they are familiar with. Yes. Uh, You know, they, they remember maybe, um, i don't know who they remember i mean maybe it's uh, ralph nader or uh, Perot if they're a little bit older <laughs> and that's because when third-party candidates run locally uh, you never hear about them and it's almost impossible for them to compete now um, so that this is the quandary that we're in which is that you'd like third-party candidates to be able to compete in more environments but it turns out they're greatest opportunity is the presidential or national because you have enough resources where someone could uh, potentially get a message out that's not uh, contained within either of the two parties. Now, a lot of folks look at that and also say, well, the stakes are much higher in the national because uh, in this case, let's say, if you were to run third party, um, you might increase the chances of Trump winning, something along those lines. So uh, I agree with your premise that there's going to be something new that emerges. And the Mm -hmm. question is, is it within the Republican primary? Yep. And I think there's a good chance that something new is going to emerge in the Republican primary. Is it enough to upset the dynamics and defeat Trump? TBD? Um, I, I'm somewhat skeptical because I think the both the prime the Republican primary electorate and the energy of this time will favor Trump uh, significantly. And I have talked to, to your point about Bill Maher asking me questions about this. I have talked yeah. to people who are considering running as oh. Republicans for president of the United States. <laughs> And they're making the same evaluation I'm describing, which is like, hey, um, is, is, is there a path to victory uh, in the Republican primary? Um, the folks that I can clearly see running in the Republican primary are people that, frankly, are willing to accept low prospects for victory. Yeah. Um, perhaps someone like Chris Christie, who's like, I have nothing to lose, like, let's just do this thing. Let's <laughs> mm. <laughs> just do
1: this. <laughs> you know, yeah. like,
0: like, is, is someone like that going to run? Totally. Um, the the major question uh, uh, is like, will there be a figure like a Ron DeSantis or a Larry Hogan who is much more political uh, capital um, to both compete against Trump, um, but also more to lose? Yeah. Uh, will there be a new, younger figure like a Will Hurd who we had on the podcast? Um, so that's variable one, is that will there be a new figure from within the Republican uh, primary field? Number two is, will there be a Democratic primary? And if so, will there be someone new that emerges there? And then number three is like, maybe they come from outside of the two parties uh, as an independent via the forward party or a unity ticket. One of the fun things about being Andrew Yang during this time <laughs> is, that, uh, is that to the extent that there's anyone in any of these categories uh, they're interested in talking to me because they think I can help. They think I can help with young people in particular. Yeah, for sure. They know I have very, very relevant experience, probably more relevant than just anyone else <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, I'm one of the few people who's been through a version of this process. Yeah. So it's, it's been fun because I talk talked to them and I get a sense of, of them. Some of them I like a lot and are genuine uh, to me. Um, patriots or someone who just want to do something positive uh when I was coy when Bill asked it's like oh snap like how many of these people have I talked to that actually like I'm allowed to divulge yeah they were really (laughs)
1: trying to pick at you like let us know hey oh the answer is
0: (laughs) you know like I guess you know I I can't divulge any of them because you know like Mm -hmm. none of them have um made any plans and even to me it's not like they tell me like hey I'm doing this thing like that they'll say something like I'm seriously considering so, so you know what do you necessarily nothing do confirmed with that 100%. Any, uh, do with yeah. that anyway um, the, right, right now to me the major variables whether Joe decides to run for president again and whether there is a democratic primary Kamala certainly does not clear the field so uh, the the things <laughs> I'm hearing from people are that uh, that Joe apparently wants to run again so there's that there are people around him that are less uh, enthusiastic. But, but there, there are also some, um, some signs of health issues, shall we say, that, that might make it such that he's For sure. not necessarily going to run. And that, that's, I mean, let, let me say on the record, uh, I hope that Joe does not run again. Um, uh, I, think, I think he may choose to run again because he feels he's the only one that can defeat Trump. If Trump becomes the Republican nominee, I think the odds of Joe running again go up because Joe will say, like, I'm the only one who can defeat Trump. I've done it once. Um, but I, I just don't think it's good for the country for uh, for us to have an 82-year-old president being sworn in. And if you do have an 82-year-old president being sworn in, then this time, you know, like we should frankly expect him not to complete his term and to have a vice president yeah. who we're essentially electing president, which is, is that really the play? I mean, maybe. I mean, if, if there was a... but e- Never the, ideal. Yeah. And, and And then, and this is a tough thing to say out loud, but it's like, It'd be very hard for Joe to be like, hey, I'm going to run again and my vice president pick is not going to be Kamala Harris because I can sense that a lot of you are concerned about her being the next president. Um, So it's very hard for him to make a change there. Um, But it is also the case that Kamala polls uh, poorly. And and I I think if if that were the ticket, then people would look and say we're essentially electing Kamala.
1: DeSantis is interesting because what what i observe on social media he seems to have a similar like rallying behind him not to the extent of trump but there's like a on a smaller scale a similar energy not not by no means as kind of toxic as the trump area but he's someone who if was running against trump i would see be like the strongest prospect do you he's think the strongest prospect yeah do you do you think he's going to move forward with that if he a lot of people predict he will run against trump why would you think he he wouldn't
0: one, I heard he was telling donors a little while ago that he's not going to run against Trump. So okay. it could be that he changed <laughs> his mind, yeah, mean, you know. Straight up answer. <laughs> that's, a, that's a
1: pretty straight up answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: well, the, the other thing is you look at it uh, just from a risk reward. Iran's pretty young. Yes. Um, if he sits this one out, then he's still the heir apparent coming in next time. And then he'd be, you know, the savior and uh, he can wait a cycle. You know, it's like his downsides to running against Trump are really potentially significant because then it's a war for the base. Trump is excellent at um, painting someone in a negative light. Uh, For sure. So it's just the risk reward doesn't seem to work. Um, Though I I will quote a Republican that uh, I respect and I agree with. He said that anyone who... Uh, says that they won't run against Trump shouldn't ever be president because if you ever want to be president, then you're you're not as, like, calculating about it. You're just like, look, I think country needs me. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Yep. Instead of being, being a political calculation, be like, yeah, I'll set this one out because uh, you know I don't want to go, to war with Trump. Um, I liked that perspective.
1: Yeah. Wait, that's that's very interesting, actually.
0: But, uh, but uh, you know, as we're talking about politicians. Like, do they think like that? And I mean, they they do think very much in terms of their political fortunes. I think the smart political thing for Ron to do is just to sit it out. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.
1: Also something with the Bill Maher conversation that I found really interesting because they were such short segments you didn't get really to elaborate on, but... You you guys were talking, yeah, yes, I know, no, but like (laughs) this was so interesting. So you guys were talking about how like uh, Judge Jackson was under a ton of scrutiny for defending people, but she was a public defender. You know, she was assigned these things, and you were talking about how um, America is so so polarized. You're you're just on a team, and I really wanted to talk about that more because if a rule goes against your team, you ignore it or write it off, and I want to kind of elaborate on that, because I think there's a huge discussion there amongst young people and independent politics regarding especially social media today um, and how it just intensifies every aspect of human nature. And that's a huge aspect of human nature that we're seeing unfold over the past few years.
0: Oh, yeah. I I think uh, I think people who are arguing for principle and the rule of law like are just, uh, you know, um, more and more getting drowned out by people who look at that stuff and be like, wait a minute, you know, it's like. Um, everyone seems more and more hypocritical Mm -hmm. nowadays, you know, it's like tougher and tougher. Uh, I get that. I think for young people too, when I was campaigning for president, I would say this to young people, I'd be like, look, like we've set your generation up with a bill of goods. And if I were you, I'd be very angry or very sad. Uh, and I apologize on behalf of everyone who came before you that were leaving you such an awful mess. Um, so if that's young people's experience, which I think is pretty fair, and then be like, hey, but follow the rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then it's like, there's a little bit like, well, should I be following the, these rules you speaketh of? Because, you know, like you, you haven't exactly set us up for good things. Uh, and and there, there's like this very, very thin network uh, of uh, institutions trying to keep like the, the rules in place um, and then we can see the rules are being broken all around us. I mean, I could use the, the first thing that popped into my mind was actually crypto. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> first
1: thing crypto, so like,
0: crypto is just breaking all the rules in various ways. And then you look at it and be like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, like, what, what do we, like, what does this mean? What do we do here? Uh, so uh, I, I think it's one reason why third party politics would be so interesting to young people. I think I saw something where 70% don't really like either the Democratic or the Republican yep. Party. Um, now, it, it could be that part, this group may just not be very into parties in general, um, but uh, I, I believe that there is a massive need to be filled there. Both the Democratic and Republican Party are just really old in the tooth, kind of like, you know, aged establishment brands. Like, I'd love for there to be like this new, fresh, awesome uh, type of politics that includes young people and they feel like they're a part of and can take ownership of. Um, that maybe gets us away from this, like, you know, uh, this tit for tat back and forth. I'm um, not even back and forth. You know, my, my sense of things around young people, you could, I, I should ask you this, is that I don't think that um, that folks who have, let's say, liberal or progressive views are necessarily, like, clashing with, um, like, their counterparts on the other side on a daily basis. I think it's more that there's, like, this consistent set of messaging that goes in a particular direction. It's kind of own
1: worlds. Basically. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like you've got like
0: an echo chamber going. <laughs> yes, and then there are people who are within that echo chamber that are like, you know, like maybe I don't agree with like that, <laughs> or maybe we like a little, sure. little far, like a little like I that that's my my sense that, you know, that that there are a lot of people who just don't feel included.
1: So yeah, as of 2019, just over a third of Gen Z would consider themselves to be politically independent, and there was kind of there was about ten to twelve percent that just yeah didn't say they were independent or Democrat or Republican, but a big thing that comes towards young people who do talk about independent politics on social media is a lot of um, a big left-wing term is this enlightened centrist term and always aligning, yeah, identifying as an independent with being a centrist. For on the record, can you explain the difference there?
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, independent to me is like, look, I, I don't fall within party orthodoxy yes. and like uh, all, all these policies. Um, centrist is like a bit more kind of wishy-washy with like mm-hmm. w- whatever direction you want to take. I would split it down the middle, uh, and uh, independents come in all shapes and sizes and beliefs and and everything else. So imagining that all independents are. Centrists or moderates—I don't think is correct. I work I with some agree. people who are very, very left, like very, <laughs> very, very left, who consider themselves independents. Uh, I know a lot of libertarians who consider th- themselves independents, who are, you know, probably you'd think on the other side of the spectrum, which I think the spectrum's overblown. Um, so, uh, you know, even me—it's like, you know, it was interesting about me too, Jules, that like I, I had a vision that would be a significant departure from the way we're doing things, and some people thought it's like, oh. Like, it seems awfully, quote unquote, progressive, even though I never like outright that said term. that. Yeah. Like, I would, you know, it's like it like would it help people who don't have a lot? Yes. Like, you know, in my mind, that's kind of the goal. Um, but. Uh, I, I've concluded that you're not going to be able to get those things done. And this is something I've thought a fair amount about because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in the like what you'd consider the left lane, the progressive camp. Yep. And what what they do, and I, in my opinion, we're aligned on our desires for a lot of good things to happen. Um, now their plan is to take over the Democratic Party and then like make all these good things happen. Uh, and uh, like, I, I see two massive problems with that plan. Uh, number one, I don't think taking over the Democratic Party is actually in the cards because there's like this massive entrenched set of interests that are gonna wanna keep the Democratic Party in a particular... <laughs> lane and you know Mm -hmm. the media is part of it the rest of it so that stuff you could probably figure out a lot of corruption baked in honestly a lot of entrenched interests and the second thing is uh i don't think the democratic party is going to be in a position to be able to make uh big things happen um for quite some time uh you know like you have to see right now this is the high watermark of democratic power for at least a while uh you know very very lucky to get a 50 50 split the senate turns out um uh so you know like so you've got like two massive problems if you're trying to make things happen big things happen there are other structural problems too like now we have these cascading deficits and inflation's out of control and some of the things you want to do like would require uh spending money which you know like uh i'm much more open to than like you know like a, a lot of folks so that there are all these structural problems uh and so to to me like the smart thing to do at this point would be to try and reorient american politics and have like not this two-party system that I do not think will deliver for anyone. The only thing it's going to for deliver sure. is uh, is madness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're seeing that.
0: <laughs> so, so that that's like the, but I mean, I mean anyone who takes a look at, um, you know, my latest book, I mean, you know, the goals I have uh, are the same as they've been. Uh, I think now, like I see the path as being very different politically than I, I would have imagined it um, and for, for me, this is like a uh, like learning and adaptation, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, this was like fascinating to me. It was also around 2019. A study by Pew Research is that um, basically th- there's just a movement from Gen Z Democrats and Republicans coming to a more unified stance on politics. So even on issues like of Gen Z Republicans want the government to be more involved in solving social issues compared to only 23% of boomers within the Republican Party. So even just within the party, there's these crazy generational differences. Also, only 18% of Gen Z Republicans believe that humans are not intensifying climate change while it was 42% of boomers, for example. Just these crazy differences within the party that it does feel more like these generational changes while like these... Gen Z people in the Republican Party or Gen Z people in the Democratic Party aren't even aligning on the same things. Like you said, actually, on Bill Maher, it's more so just a team. People a lot of the times can't even break down what does this party stand for anymore. It's truly just an ideology at this point. And it's just an energy that you flock to um, that causes a ton of polarization online, because as soon as you hear Democrat or as soon as you hear Republican, you are just boxing that person into a certain energy and just not at all like considering what they're saying and when in reality there's a very unified stance on the issues
0: yeah that, that, that's so profound where yeah. if you talk to a young republican they they want uh to help fight climate change and make positive social things happen okay mm-hmm. with you, having the government be a part of that so if you can try and build those bridges and make common ground as opposed to just getting separated and uh uh these tribes then you can make real progress that's why the reorientation is so important young people join us may make, make it uh let's make it happen so the the, the thing that, that I, I commented uh to to someone earlier is that at, at this point no matter what you're for like this system's not going to give it to you you know what i mean like if, if <laughs> again yeah. unless it's madness so seriously uh, so I, I but i think for young people to participate in the reorganization of our politics is a must I, like if you're a young person listening to this Do you really think that it's going to be the Democratic Party or the Republican Party is going to like solve some of these problems that are getting worse and worse and have been for decades under their watch? Uh, The fact is that neither party pays a real long-term, meaningful price for either the problems getting worse or even losing a race because it just the ball goes back and forth between the two of them. Polarization
1: is just busy work.
0: You need genuine competition. You need more third parties, and you've been conditioned. Everyone's been conditioned to be like, oh, third parties can't work. And then you ask yourself, well, why is that? It's all because the two parties shut them out of every major uh, you know, like poll or race uh, um, in, in these districts. So we have to evolve to uh, ranked choice voting and nonpartisan open primaries, give everyone a shot, new parties would emerge, young people would have a better chance at leadership. It'd be great.
1: Yeah, because you also point out the UK has five parties, Germany has seven parties, Sweden has eight parties. And so if one party goes crazy, Let's say whether it's either Republicans or Democrats, it's not an existential threat to the entire system. And I I think it's just crazy. We don't like you've definitely touched on it before, but we don't talk about enough how even George Washington was considered an independent and actively spoke against the two party system. That's rarely ever talked about in schools. And just that point alone, like I'm like, that's epic. And the fact that we don't talk about that foundation that was set for the country and how it completely Went the we have opposite gone direction. The founding fathers would look up and be like,
0: you guys are real idiots to have yeah. this, this bizarro duopoly in place. Uh, <laughs> Bizarre. No, uh, it's true. No, seriously. Or, or the other thing that, uh, you know, another great American president, Abraham Lincoln, won the White House with 39.8% of the vote in a four candidate race. He was essentially a third party candidate yep. on the brand new Republican Party that had just materialized as a Northern anti slavery party. Uh, so when you think about like in, in our nation's history, some of our greatest leaders, like they wouldn't be like Democrat, Republican. And uh, when he ran for office again, he uh, had a unity ticket where he was the Republican president, uh, presidential candidate and the vice president was a Democrat. Yes. So, you know, can you imagine these things happening today? Like uh, like the, gr- the greatest leaders uh, in the country's history w- would be shocked at where we are right now.
1: And. It's also like Trump really took over the term the silent majority during 2020, he which was originally coined by Richard Nixon. But Trump kind of made it seem more aligned with the Republican Party. The real silent majority to me, yes, are young independents that takes up a huge margin of the voters and young people. And those these are the people who don't feel like they can speak up a lot online because what does well in algorithms are these extreme takes that provoke extreme emotions, whether they are good or bad. And kind of, you know, this middle ground take isn't what algorithms are it's not feeding into them
0: that's one reason why you're so important jules thank you <laughs> in the middle ground jules Turpac. follow her on your favorite social media all these platform. plugs
1: <laughs> all these plugs but to me it's just what we see online is kids are online more hours per day than they're honestly conversating with people in person and so what the parties seem like online the democratic party the words that align and you don't have to agree are kind of woke and idealist. And the Republican Party is often seems like conspiracy theorists and often devil's advocates. So they the the Republican Party online, the extremists often like whatever the left is saying, will oppose it completely, no matter how much it aligns with them. Because in the reality, like I was saying earlier, we see a more unified stance on politics amongst young people. It's just not being represented online. But when that's all you're being fed through the algorithms, it can seem like everyone's on these extreme sides, but it's a small percent of voters that are truly on the extreme. So it's been evident, like we said, George Washington made it obvious that he didn't believe in a two party system and social media and these algorithms just further intensify again what happens in human nature. And it's just clear right now that this two party system is not what we need at all. And it's just We're avoiding everything that we need to get done because of this bickering back and forth. Like I said a few minutes ago, it just feels like busy work. and We're not actually talking about things we need to get done. It's just this tribalism back and forth.
0: Yeah, I I, I completely agree. And let me say, too, you know, like. I like some of the things that various Democrats have proposed in Congress. over This past period. You know, if you ask me who I line up with more. Uh, like right now the Republican party doesn't even have a platform last I checked. Um, but this system is really just like, it, it's not working for anybody. Um, so, uh, that, that's one of the, the real lessons that, that I've taken from this past period of time. And, and I do think we're in the, you know, the final, whenever it is Stage. seven months of, uh, yeah. you know, seven months of, yeah. of Democrats having control of government. I mean, nothing's going to get done, uh, starting in November. Um, and our institutional uh, trust and credibility is just, you know, dropping, dropping, dropping. Uh, it, it's it's fun trying to build the next generation of institution sometimes. I mean, you know, it's like I'm I'm someone who uh, I'm saddened by the the state of the country and the state of the world. Um, but you know, like it, it it's great being able to work with people like you mm-hmm. and, you know, try and give give folks a home.
1: I also feel just, again, because what we see online, a lot of young people feel like it's easy to tune out of the current political system because it feels like it doesn't suit you or doesn't support you. Um, things like open primaries are an obvious thing in the short term and also the long term to continue to root for, especially for young voters who are these independents. Like, What are things like aside, open primaries and aside from it that you can actively be pushing for?
0: Uh, ranked choice voting would be the biggest win. Yes. It's like an anti-extremism change in voting. It also gets rid of the spoiler effect, the entire like, you're going to ruin it. It's like, well, just it's all rank choice voting if you really care. And the, the fact is most people of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, don't like competition. It's one reason why 90 percent of seats are now gerrymandered to be uncompetitive. So then you say, hey, rank choice voting and allows new perspectives to emerge like no one's like, oh, sign me up. Um, I mean, people are like, sign me up. But Democrats and Republicans in power are not like, sign me up, because if you're an elected official, that one in a given system. You don't want the system to change. If you're a consultant, it's like, oh, this introduces uncertainty. So uh, this is up for to people, like yep. the folks listening to this, to say, look, ranked choice voting is a win. Mm-hmm. It's a win for everyone. Uh, it's, uh, it, well, it's a win for the public. Um, the only people that it's not a win for are extremists.
1: Exactly, well, we don't want them to win anymore. They've had their time <laughs> over the past few decades.
0: that's EXPRESSVPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more.
1: This all kind of ties into something that the Washington Post actually covered last week regarding uh, Meta, Facebook, paid a GOP firm to demean TikTok. So
0: they went after you, Jules. Yeah. I'm yeah. Serious. They went after me. Honestly, it's
1: OK. And we can talk about that. But it's interesting because um, Mark Zuckerberg was often like critiqued by The Washington Post throughout this article, too. It's like, wh- what side is he on? He donated to a, a ton, ton of Democratic politicians. Is he a Democrat or <laughs> yeah, Republican? So is he a Republican? But reality is, who, who knows? Most people don't really know that, at the end of the day. Um,
0: Mark Zuckerberg is uh, what's called the Zuckerbergian.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For himself, for sure. <laughs> He's a <meta>. For himself. <laughs> He's,
0: I mean, you know, like a meta booster.
1: Yeah. So Facebook um, parent company Meta is paying one of the biggest Republican consulting firms in the country called Targeted Victory um, to orchestrate a nationwide campaign seeking to turn the public against TikTok. And this was actually... Pretty crazy work by Taylor Lorenz. because a lot of journalists today aren't really actually on the platform or, or, or they'll browse it. This is something she had to be on the platform often to really identify. So it was months ago. She realized that in like uh, local newspapers that met, well, she didn't know it was met at the time, but there were these stories planted about TikTok um, regarding trends like slap a teacher trend and schools were literally being shut down because of these trends and these scares. And she realized like, this is not a trend on TikTok. There was maybe one viral video and that that doesn't constitute a trend. There's not thousands of videos with it. So she started following this and was able to figure out that um, just talking to local newspapers and also Meta was planting like op-eds with targeted victory about the platform. And mostly because TikTok is Meta's biggest competitor we've talked about in past um, podcasts that they, the entire Gen Z demographic is moving over to that platform. Instagram recently lost um, active users for the first time ever, mostly Gen Zers. And kind of just, yeah, Zuckerberg going to great lengths in order to put meta on top has been crazy.
0: Yeah, that's really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> a
1: little bit, and, and Taylor was talking about that you see this a lot in politics, but never before really in the social media realm with business, so.
0: If I had won the White House, I was going to go to war with Zuckerberg, truly, because what's good for Facebook, I'm going to call it Facebook.
1: Oh, not, yeah, don't I give him that respect. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> what, what's,
0: what's good for Facebook is not good for America. It's not good for humanity, It's not yes. good for sanity. Uh, so I, I spoke to a political scientist, Barbara Walter, a few weeks ago on the podcast, and she said that Facebook is essentially negative, correlated with functioning democracy around the world. Oh, for I don't sure. know if you saw that where it's like we, if if Facebook shows up in a country, then they backslide
1: <laughs> direct <laughs> I mean, correlation, like an
0: anti-democracy <laughs> company. Uh, so, uh, so I was going to go to war with Zuckerberg uh, uh, and the gang. Um, they, they don't have uh, any interest at heart except for uh, Meta's uh, profitability um, and um, Zuckerberg's uh, Increasingly dissociated view of the future. <laughs> oh, for know, sure. Where I've heard that he just hangs out in the metaverse more than he hangs out in the real world. And look, you know, like I, I'm as big a fan of uh, aspects of virtual worlds as anyone else, but uh, you know, I'm going to suggest that that's probably not healthy. So, mm-hmm. so I, I hope they pay a price for this. But the problem is, here, here. I mean, there's so many problems. But here, yeah, I was going to. We could problems. talk
1: about this for two hours. But
0: so, so it's like, what price could? meta facebook zuckerberg pay like you would need a functioning government yeah uh, you know you need someone to be like okay like th- this is uh, beyond the pale it sounds like kelly lorenz really freaking hunted this stuff down too yeah
1: I mean, it cr- crazy good story seriously
0: yeah nice journalism yeah um so uh number one people would be like oh everyone should stop using them it's like well you know these social media platforms are essentially ingrained in our lives all, so yeah. it's like abandoning them now <laughs> Personally, I'm not against you abandoning them. Honestly, <laughs> everybody. So if you, you know, like you you log off, I mean that that's fine. But it's unrealistic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's unrealistic for any business because you have to try and reach people. So that's not a thing. And then it'd be like government um, action. But our, our government, when they do bring these social media leaders and they yell at them about uh, things that are unrelated to, uh, you know, that they're kind of anti-competitive practices. I mean they're quasi monopolies. So. Uh, so the fact is, Facebook can play fast and loose in this way, and I mean, we've seen it over and over again. They'll just keep on doing things uh, that are beyond the pale, and they don't pay a meaningful price.
1: Completely. And so their biggest thing was that employees within the firm targeted victory worked You know, up-
0: to the extent there is a price being paid right now. What? It's that uh, a lot of cool people don't want to work at Facebook anymore.
1: That is true. That is true. Very true. And... So their biggest target during these articles was mostly so these trends kind of just painting TikTok as, you know, about bad player in the game because they often feel like they get unfair press. And in regards to us talking right now, like, yeah, there's there definitely is kind of a focus on uh, meta well Facebook, Instagram and these social media conversations, especially regarding youth well-being. Um, They're definitely a main target amongst Congress and everyone. Um, So they kind of want to paint someone else in a different light. And you see lately Zuckerberg has been making a lot of independent media appearances, which he had never, ever done before. He's been on very odd, very like calculated. It's all it's been like in the past two months, three or four of them back and before. Never Never has he ever. He would get on like Good Morning America here and there. But obviously that's super high production and everything. And these were pretty high produced as well, though. Lex Freeman claimed that. Um, There was no like censoring beforehand that they didn't look over the questions or anything like that. But I will say, so their focus in regards to um, criticizing TikTok was in regards to China and selling a lot of these kids data and all of that being obtained by China. But what's interesting to me, and I actually did a video on this a week and a half ago, and I don't know how this got pushed on the TikTok platform. So it was me criticizing TikTok on the TikTok platform, which sounds contradictory, but We can go into why I did that. And it's sitting around like 800K views right now. And the video was about how kids focus today, much in part due to all social media. But TikTok's the holy grail of this is just completely declining. And you actually had an interview with um, the author of Stolen Focus, which was really good. And I suggest people go listen to that, too. But the biggest problem really is, yeah, the immediate short-term effect of TikTok is this complete stolen focus and this device you have in your hand is basically a paradox of choice device Where whatever you're doing. You feel like something can be more stimulating to you on an app like TikTok because it is so well curated to you and it's bottomless feed. Unlike any other platform before that feed is completely bottomless. But let's say and it's really rewiring kids brains and I could go on about this for yeah. an hour. That's the real problem. But let's say TikTok gets shut down these other platforms were still in the attention economy and meta is trying to copy that with reels and youtube is trying to copy that with shorts that's the real immediate problem and all of these platforms are trying to do the same thing and then some with virtual reality and everything like that so yeah they're going to this data angle but it's clear i mean obvious it's for business intentions but
0: yeah yeah be I mean, one thing if facebook was all, all of a sudden doing all of these like massive uh remediation measures themselves yes um, but they're not <laughs> no
1: not at all not at all and then wall street journal actually um posted uh, a piece on saturday and it was TikTok brain explained why some kids seem hooked on social video feeds it was going into a lot of what i talked about in the video as well and I just want to read this intro because I think it's really powerful. So it's like, remember the good old days when kids just watched YouTube all day? Now that they binge on 15-second TikToks, those YouTube clips seem like PBS documentaries. Many parents tell me their kids can't sit through feature-length films anymore because to them, movies feel painfully slow. Others have observed their kids struggling to focus on homework and reading a book. Forget about it. What is happening to kids' brains, and then goes into like the ADHD conversations. And this article is also super fascinating on the topic. I don't think I got worried about this uh, Facebook meta coverage about demeaning TikTok because, yeah, it puts a lot of focus then back on meta. And there are a lot of things to critique about TikTok. And I noticed on my video then that was getting a lot of traction and response that. A lot of positive, responsive kids being like, I'm getting off this app for today. This was like a reality check and it's true. I'm deleting this app for the week. I need a break. But then I started to see comments after this article came out a few days after of like, oh, was this planted by Meta or something? Um, So then it kind of also takes responsibility again back off of TikTok when in reality there needs to be a lot of discussion about how it's rewiring kids' brains. And we need kids to be able to focus in order to make change in the future and like, You know, um, people need to have like a long term focus and vision. A lot of the times now when you say, oh, in the future, I want this to happen, whether it's within change or like independent politics. A lot of people are like, oh, like next year. No, like uh, the future can mean like a five to 10 year timeline. And like you have to work continuously at something to be able to actually achieve it. And we're seeing a lot of that being lost within kids right now.
0: Yeah, I, I, someone said to me this week that uh, they think that it's going to be up to Gen X to fix all these tech issues. Uh, and the, the argument was that Gen X actually remembers a time before the technology and then remembers the time after technology. For sure. And, uh, and so we're, we're not Luddites, but we actually do remember the time before. And I said, wow. And I thought of the Gen Xers I know who were running for office. Um, it's bad, though, you know, like that. There, there are other societies that have taken much more um, protective measures. Uh, but here in the U.S., we just have so little faith in government that uh, we just throw any restriction on as freedom of speech. Let's say here's an example, something that I would recommend.
1: Yes, let's uh, hear it, please. Uh, is
0: that, that I, would, <laughs> I would say, hey, if you're under 18, uh, your social media apps don't work between uh, 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. For sure. Eight hours without it.
1: Yeah, because China's doing that. And it's like a collective experience. Because right now when kids, if, you, if you're a parent and you tell your kid, oh, you can't have your phone after 9 p.m., there's this like FOMO feeling, fear Everyone of missing on, out. But if no one's yes. on, then
0: you're not missing anything. You're
1: like, yeah, am I missing something? What are my friends doing? Um, social media stuff is breaking out left and right, like breaking news. And it is like a fear of missing out. I I feel that at the age of 24. <laughs> like at every, like Sorry, I'm looking at you. Wait, 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 what'd you say?
0: <laughs> no, i just like, you're like, you feel like missing out at the age of 24, which is, I mean, we all feel that. Because, yeah. A, you're standing in line and you're just like, oh, what's going on in the world? Yeah. You, just it's, can't, you can't just stand in line.
1: It's a, a very exhilarating collective experience when like, uh, yeah, news is breaking, even this morning and we can talk about like Elon Musk and Twitter. It was cool to see everyone's reactions in time and like how shocking it was. And it's maybe not as stimulating if you're a day or two late, <laughs> like stuff like that. it can feel like you're missing out on. Um, especially in the worlds we're in where you kind of like wanna hop on and be knowing things like as they're happening. Um, And a lot of people are kind of critiquing, oh, well, TikTok's like inserting 10 minute videos onto their feeds. Those I've seen people try to do those. They're not doing well. The platform is not built for 10 minute videos. Um, It's crazy. So to the point of what you're saying, yeah. The hours, and we've discussed this before, but I think it's really important for everyone to know because a lot of people write it off. Because oh, China's doing it. China's just as intimidated by their tech companies as the U.S. is about our big tech companies. Yeah, that's
0: one of the tough things too. It's like yeah, like uh, China does some very very bad things. Yes. yes, But but just because China makes a policy decision doesn't automatically mean it's like the wrong one. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like let let's say they get you know. 20% of them right, 80% of them wrong. You'd still look at it and be like, well, which, which one is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I did
1: coverage on like the four things that China's doing for ki- um, kids on Doyen, which is TikTok's equivalent in the country. People just com- like wrote Japan. it off because it was China. They're just like, oh, I'm not doing that. Like, And just to quickly add for everyone else, the four things that China is doing for kids. So, yeah, yeah so it's from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Ki- kids under 16, it's not 18, aren't allowed on the app. So just like, that just don't have access to the app every i think it's like 15 to 20 videos um there's a 5 to 10 second pause kind of get them out of that hypnosis that is so easy to get into on tiktok of course like duh um if you're on the app for more than 40 minutes straight kicks you off i don't know the duration for how long it kicks you off but you get kicked off um that that seems reasonable 40 minutes straight on a social media app not really a need and the other thing is so in America, the algorithm is very catered to your subconscious mind and your interests. Anything you're giving watch time to, whether it's good or bad, the algorithm just really caters to exactly what you give watch time to. In China, they're infiltrating that a little bit, not not in a bad way. Um, but to kids under 16, I'm not sure how it is for adults. They're pushing more edutainment STEM content. So, wow. you know, fun just learning a couple content. Physics equations. Yeah. And right now on TikTok and the Wall Street Journal actually did a video series on this like a year or two ago. Um, They made like a couple thousand bots on the app and kind of gave them different interests and assigned them those interests. And when videos would come up with those certain hashtags would watch those videos longer. Someone, um, one of the bots, not someone, one of the bots, they they aren't people (laughs) yet. (laughs) Um, One of the bots had like an interest of depression and like sadness. after just, like, 45 minutes, the algorithm figured it out, and, like, every two videos were, like, a depressing video. The, that's, like, what some kids are living in. I remember when I was on Tumblr in middle school, so dramatic. My my Tumblr name was, like, finding color in this black and white world, something so for like a, that.
0: For young <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, no reason to be sad, but Tumblr, like, any, anyone who's on that app knows that. It was the first app to really like romanticize mental illness and like r- really made kids like put it on themselves, and but it was of course not to the extent of TikTok. Because, like, there wasn't a crazy algorithm. It was just based on who you followed and like what you curated yourself. TikTok's just feeding you this content nonstop, and I, I can't imagine so many kids at the when you're exploring your identity and like you know sad boy hours just being dramatic <laughs> like you, you could have nothing wrong in your life, and. It's just, yeah, exploring that side of life. And these algorithms can just like completely rewire your brain to make you believe a certain thing. It's insane.
0: Oh, Jules, I'm so glad that you're digging into these issues <laughs> uh, because for a lot of older people, TikTok is you know, a bit of a mystery.
1: Oh, for, it's for sure. Definitely a mystery. But it, it's crazy that I think the average time spent on it is like three to four hours a day for kids. That's a, a huge chunk of your day.
0: It is hypnotic. I I I mean I don't spend time on. That, <laughs> I
1: was like, oh, oh, are you spending? <laughs> I, I
0: mean I spent so okay. I mean people probably know this. My experience yes. with the TikTok is making TikTok videos because my team was like, oh, this would be a good idea.
1: Yeah, it's where people are. Yeah, yeah, so
0: I've I've done it, so I watched enough videos to be like, wow, this is well. So I remember it, like like Twitter vines over and over again is what I think of them, mm-hmm. and it is hypnotic. Um, I'm proud to say I have not actually spent more than, you know, five minutes on the <laughs> Wow, that's, that's impressive. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Andrew Yang for president. The Seriously? willpower to resist <laughs> the hypnosis. Yes, yes. This is the
1: kind of leadership you need. Facts. <laughs> no, but it's crazy and it seems contradicting. Oh, why did you post a... Uh, TikTok video about... Yeah, on TikTok. It is where kids are, and there is no potential reach like that app, and... I advise everyone to go watch that video and see the comment section. Like everyone was just like, like, I needed to see this on this app. There's no no other way people would probably seen that unless it was YouTube. That's smart. Yeah. I mean, it can, can seem contradiction contradicting at face value, but it's just it was just crazy to see how people were, were reacting to it too and talking about their own experience with they were used to love watching documentaries and now they can't even get through a movie or a TV show without checking their phone every five minutes. Like just this weird like subconscious pool to just like swipe a few times on TikTok. I
0: confess, and this is something, you know, I'm make me sound a little bit like a funny duddy but I'm kind of grateful I came of age when I did. And no, yeah. Now, and then now that all this, this stuff has come online, I'm, you know, like a dad and chilling. Yes. No,
1: no, I think that's important because even me, like social media didn't come around until middle school. And so I do still feel like I remember life before then. And yeah, like even like my mo- millennial aged friends, like, they decently know what life was like before them. They were on MySpace, but it's just a completely different type of social media, and it's it's just scary because kids don't know anything else now. And yeah. yeah, and there's just this crazy digital footprint. You see a lot of family channels now, and these kids who are yeah being forced to have their identity on social media. Even it's just like <laughs> when my mom posts pictures of me. Sometimes I'm like, Mom, like ask me. Like this is like online. Like it's it used to seem like chill, and only your friends and family could see it, but it all adds come on, up
0: mom jules is famous now
1: oh no no <laughs> not to that extent but i'm like come like, on like there's this whole stereotype everyone there's a brand <laughs> to protect you no mom. no <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. it's a whole stereotype of like the ugliest pictures of you are on your parents facebook like that that's where they live all the time but it adds up when we're already seeing this compounding digital footprint of people we've seen it in the past with cancel cancel culture a few years back but kids are gonna have like yeah stuff from they were like five years old online that their parents posting kids in like the bath and all this i'm like what are you doing like this is not okay like this is the internet and this is accessible to everyone and it's crazy
0: Wow. You, you got me <laughs> fired up, Jules. I, I I'll I still take a shot at fixing this stuff from, Please. From you know, I mean, it has to emanate from D.C. in my opinion.
1: Uh, well, this was the first time Biden addressed it really in state of the, his State of the Union address. He talked about um, social media and youth well-being. His focus was a lot on advertisements, which goes hand in hand with data. Of course, data is important in this. But, you know, data is not like a sexy thing that people like to talk about. Like, when you hear that, there's kind of just like a disconnect. You t- tune out. You're like, okay, what does that even mean? That seems like such a large conversation. And in, re- in reality, um, yeah, he talked about advertising, but also pe- kids don't really have buying power. You see advertisements on Nickelodeon growing up. You, you don't have a card. You can't really make moves on that.
0: Uh, it, it's, it's part of the problem, but it, it's yeah. not the guts of it. I get it.
1: And the immediate, clear situation that's hitting kids in mental health um it's pretty Still, obvious we're
0: inching in this direction nice job joe <laughs> yeah no no yeah for
1: sure yeah no i was like really pleased to hear that was even a conversation it was yeah, yeah. pretty prominent throughout that
0: i to say they they fight so hard about any sentence in that say the union really yeah i don't yeah. know if you all know that but probably like, super calculated of course yeah, like it's it's, it's <laughs> the most valuable real estate mm-hmm. where that like people are fighting 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 to get a line, a sentence. Uh, and, and so anything that makes it in crowded out something else, um, it, it's it's actually a very positive sign.
1: Well, kind of back to this too with this article and uh, how people were saying this is often something that's done within politics, kind of these planting of the seed articles. What has your experience been there? Kind of just like, I, I feel like this was very interesting to young people to really see, wow, like this platform I'm on all the time, that has a huge impact on my life is being targeted by this other platform I'm on all the time. And I think th- kind of not tri- that's not trivial by any means, but these things that are, collect- again, collective experiences help people really actualize that same action on a bigger scale. So, like, within politics, how have you seen that play oh, out? Oh, it
0: did remind me of politics, to yes. your point. Where, yeah. uh, so candidates and campaigns plant negative stories about opponents all the time. Yeah, um, so in a way, it's like, uh, is the fact that Facebook then turned to Republican mm-hmm. Consulting to play these uh, stories about TikTok? It's like, I guess they that, that uh, almost makes sense. Uh, you know, the fact that it could get traced back to them. I mean, this is like a worst case scenario for them. It's like, oh, no, we didn't mm-hmm. want to get caught. Um, yeah. But it, 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 it's definitely commonplace in politics. Um, I'd imagine it's not uncommon in business if you have a few big players, like are they playing mean against each other, sure. I uh, met Richard Branson a, a little while ago okay. and he was telling stories about how like the major, when he started, you know, Virgin uh, Airline, um, that like there aren't many airlines in the UK and like the other airlines were doing like crazy stuff to stop him. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like it was worse than playing negative stories. It was like just like all sorts of, brutal. Like, it was just brutal stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, business is a very tough sport, um, but uh, the fact that I, I think part of the story that's like if um, I think the intermediary that Facebook uses is part of the problem, it's like hiring the Republican firm to trash, it, it just leaves TikTok, it leaves you with a very, very bad taste.
1: It's it's fascinating to me. <laughs> like I could just like look into this stuff for hours, but. On another note, with social media today, we're recording on Monday. I'm not sure when this is dropping, probably Thursday. But um, it was announced that Elon Musk bought 9.2% of shares in Twitter. Um, So a few weeks ago, a big tweet that he put out, and my laptop died, so I can't read it word for word, but was asking about Twitter's relationship with freedom of speech and if people feel like they um, are able to utilize their right there in a good way. I think it was People said no, like 70% of people believe that uh, Twitter does not su- super align with freedom of speech and only uh, 30% agreed with so. And then Elon was talking to people on Twitter again about, oh, do we need a new social media platform? He, that that would be a pretty insane move. I think I remember when even TikTok came out, I think I was like, we are at our max with social media platforms. Like what void is there to fill? Yes, freedom of speech is like my, my a void. My joke
0: is that the next social media platform trillion dollar idea from andrew yang oh
1: gosh don't give the give, go, don't give go. the startups your idea here we go it is tick like three second videos yeah, just three <laughs> seconds. jesus no but no but, but yeah
0: <laughs>
1: jesus no but like even yeah a platform coming that kind of you know extra helps ex- people exercise freedom of speech more if it's the same I mean, exact social de-
0: is a total dud
1: yes it's a, a total dud and like p- people knew that from the start um of course you know trump loyalists were running to the platform and within like a week or something people just stopped you like the it's user like base if, went yeah pfft. if you
0: go into a freaking empty uh bar do you like stay there <laughs> you go to an empty yeah. bar you like turn around and leave
1: yeah it's like you're getting tired of like maybe it was a good moment, people being like, "Wow, this is kind of insane of us. Let's move back to where everyone else is. It's more fun. Collective experiences are more fun and with like uh people outside of this echo chamber. So maybe it was a good moment, who knows, <laughs> But yeah, like, even cre- Elon creating another platform and he's someone who's com- not. Creating no, 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 he's not.
0: He, he, he just put out a question. I think. Yeah. To, so to mess around. Th- there's
1: no way. But yeah, there, there's no way that's happening. And, and thank God that would have been a dumb move. But this is super interesting. Um, to, I, I, I just find it fascinating. I want to hear your take as well.
0: You know, I, I I've uh, met Elon, um, met Jack Dorsey. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely think that this is a personal thing. Like, I I think that Elon um, and Jack had some convos and then, uh, you know, Elon decided to uh, buy a stake in Twitter. It's passive. He doesn't have any. Mm -hmm. He's also, I can say very much that, like, Elon's totally overscheduled and has like other things on his mind. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of just like a statement. <laughs> yeah. like it, And, uh, you know, it seems like a massive investment, but for him, I mean, it's like 1% or so of his net worth, like, uh, you know, and, and. It,
1: but culturally it's crazy.
0: Culturally it's crazy. The, 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 fact is Twitter, uh, in terms of social media businesses is not a great business. Uh, you know, it's, not, it, it's cultural impact is much, much higher than its economic, for sure. uh, uh, impact. Um, heck, I mean, e- even you know, like J- Jack Dorsey stepped away and is now running Square full time. And if you look at those two businesses, Square is a much bigger business, uh, more significant too. And um, so, I-, I think this was a relationship thing, personally.
1: Yeah, so I think Twitter, like I've I've said this for the past few years, I think Twitter is going to win like the long game with all these social media pop. It's my fate. Like, there's a lot of bad on Twitter. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting it on pedestal. It's been my favorite platform, and I think there's so many different use cases for it in terms of, it's, I said this last podcast, but it's kind of what LinkedIn wishes it could be in terms of content. Well, so
0: I, I had the most singular set of yeah. Twitter experiences. So check it out. Imagine being like a relatively anonymous guy, ran for president of the United yes. States, and then went it's from powerful. whatever, 5,000 Twitter followers to 1.2 million Twitter mm-hmm. followers over the course of, I don't know, like 15 months, 18 months, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that you know, uh, 1.2 million people um, were a lot of people who I had heard of or, you know, in some cases um, uh, was a fan of. And so when it's you see crazy. that stuff happen. Yeah. So this is something that I, I will say, like, it, it's probably relatively unique to me um, uh, because, you <laughs> <Can't> know, <relate. laughs> because people are, you know, but like, you just look up and be like, holy shit, like, you know, like Rivers Cuomo follows me on Twitter now is like the greatest thing ever. And then you'd be like, hey, what's up? And so I ended up meeting (laughs) a lot of people this way.
1: Yes. It's crazy. Networking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so and then people would hit me like DM me be like, hey, big fan. I'd be like, oh, that's so nice.
1: Jeez. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So there
0: was like something very, very uh, utilitarian and powerful and positive. Um, you know, the folks who were part of the Yang Yang were connecting on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I'd meet someone on Twitter and I'd see them at a rally or an event. It's like the, the greatest thing ever. So like, the, you know, the, the, like I, I may, might have experienced some of those positive uh, aspects of Twitter. Uh, and when I was running for president and I was, you know, between stops in Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, like I was looking for productive things to do. And so it was either uh, use my phone to call people or use Twitter you know yeah.
1: what, what's the option twitter um, well yeah, I, yeah. I found twitter to be you know <laughs>
0: more more fun cuz calling yeah. people cuz or not calling people i mean you're calling people to ask for their endorsement yes um, yes yeah. or you're calling people for money and neither of those things is that pleasant
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i keep using the word fascinating but it's just cuz i love these like yeah social media culture conversations And with Twitter, it's very interesting because when I was in middle school, it it was a prominent platform aside with Instagram. Everything
0: I said, though, that said, I think Twitter's user base is shrinking, is it or no?
1: No, I think it's been growing. Has it? Yeah. I think this year, yes, I'm pretty sure. I I wish I could Google right now because my laptop said, yeah, I'm pretty sure this, yes. Wait, okay, wait, can I make this point? Because it goes with that. So in high school, I I would utilize Twitter. Same with my peers when I talk about this too. And in college, it's kind of like there were a few years where... Twitter died out, and I noticed this in my younger siblings as well. It's kind of like you, you make a Twitter account; it's harder to navigate because it's not like um, like Instagram. You know, you follow your friends. TikTok, the c- content comes to you, and you're following a lot of strangers. Twitter's a little harder to navigate when you first make a profile, but it's where yeah, a lot of um, professionals are, and like as you get to the end of college and into early adulthood you start to be more active on the platform a lot of kids do use it for like a fandom culture and stands like you you love your favorite celebrities or like pop artists or whatever but it becomes more prominent in like your early adulthood and like i just keep seeing so many people flock back to it and just again it becomes their favorite platform like it kind of was when in middle school when you used it more for humor reasons it's like this weird cycle with twitter and like you go back to loving it and it's just super um great in like your adulthood but to the point back to Elon and the talk about freedom of speech it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and what his um kind of hopes are in regards to Twitter and freedom of speech because uh, Mark Zuckerberg talked about this on the Lex Freeman podcast about you know Lex Freeman grilled him about one of the biggest critiques is regarding freedom of speech and Mark was like what would you do it's so easy to critique that conversation. There's a million different ways, but what would you do? And no, almost no one has an answer once you get asked that, because you can see, oh, this video got taken down, um, and a lot of these videos are taken down through AI, and even Mark Zuckerberg got grilled a few years ago in front of Congress because, yeah, content moderators were being paid um, a typical minimum wage, but they're sitting there all day watching. Just
0: looking at the worst of human nature and losing their minds. They're literally all like in therapy
1: literally so a human should not have to do that and so then you have to rely on ai and of course there's going to be flaws in that and when you have these crazy clickbait um headlines whether it's on youtube Uh, yeah
0: i get frustrated when i hear zuckerberg's response to stuff like that yes it's like look you're making gajillions of dollars and your approach to this is essentially it's like hey we're gonna try and curb the most rancid stuff Use some countermeasures Mm -hmm. like leave us alone um and then part of it's like look man like you could do bigger things that probably hurt your bottom line like that there should yeah. be like no so the the, the like what, what someone said is uh it's like like the algorithm should not be feeding into this stuff like you're profiting from a lot of the, these things and then complaining about it it's like you know just like turn the algorithms off <laughs> and, and say that you're not um you know like you're just you're not going to profit from content unless you're willing to stand by it then all of a sudden they'd be like oh snap like you know we I, I so it's it's like if you assume the current state of affairs and you could be like oh like what's a person to do but mm-hmm. it's like well you know you're assuming all of these things that are baked into your business model because they make you tons of money like if you were to yeah. draw this up from scratch like you you could do this in very dramatic ways you would almost certainly make a lot less money <laughs> and, but that, like that like that it's it's funny it's like they're willing to consider anything but those measures
1: so do you think so when you say turn off the algorithms because right now the algorithms to me on a lot of these platforms especially tiktok genuinely feel like it's just a reflection of your mind and like what you give attention to and yes humans tend to flock to kind of these extremes happy and bad feelings well, so you know, how it, do you see the algorithm like what do you
0: well, think well so because right now the algorithm is programmed to do one thing Maximizing attention, engagement. yeah. It's just like, hey, how do I maximize your engagement? And then it's like, what? Like, well, you're paying attention. Like, I can't be blamed. Yep. You know, and and, uh, and so you could easily temper that and just be like, hey, maybe we're not going to maximize engagement. Maybe we're going to like, you know, maybe we'll actually make programming decisions. Maybe we'll take some responsibility. Maybe we'll do. That. You know, it's like mm-hmm. like, like the the it, it's so it it would make it probably a little bit less. Uh, or make it a lot less profitable. Make yeah. it probably less entertaining, and make it less addictive. There are like a lot of things you could do that make it less addictive. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, anyway, I just feel like the what can we do response just you know assumes all these market conditions.
1: What gets interesting there to me though is like, yeah, when they're kind of uh, making more tweaks with the algorithm in regards to yeah, make, maybe not perfectly aligning with the, the extremes that it does right now. I feel like almost it gets more nitty gritty into the lack of freedom of speech conversation if they're being more calculated about what type of content should be pushed more or shouldn't be pushed more, rather than, oh, just what people give more eyes on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: that that, that is the point. So I I think this is is the thing that, you know, that they're trying to run this balance, which I think at this point, it's like, look, man, it's ridiculous, is that, um, like, look, we're not a a publisher or a platform you know it's like we have control it's like you say it and, mm. um and and then part of me is like you're actually the biggest publisher in the history of the world yes <laughs> and you're the biggest publisher taking less responsibility <laughs> um so you know there, there are all of these uh rules of the road that i think could be followed and uh does it end up then running into this strange zone of like well what what's What's hate speech? What's not? What's mm-hmm. obscenity? What's not? What's, yeah, you know, that threatening. What's not? Um, and, and that's legitimate for them to be like, "Look, can't have random, lowly paid human doing making that decision." We do have AI doing it. They screw up sometimes. People get mad. You know, like like that. That's a very very legitimate conversation. Yeah, that's and, more and, and, so. And, and, and my even focus. A, and even like uh, like I've heard from heads of social media companies being like, "Look, I shouldn't be making this decision." Um, and and that's something that I sympathize with hundred percent that that's something where you, and, and for them, what they're doing, here's their problem. Their problem is like, look, we're not a public commons. We're a private company. We do whatever the hell we want. We don't even tell you about it. We're going to draw this line here. And then you're happy, you're unhappy, whatever. Say la vie. No one can do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, that's a current state of affairs. What you would want is you'd want them to actually open the kimono and be like, okay, here are the guidelines we're using. Like, le- like can someone, uh, improve on this in some way. Let's have like a consortium of government, NGOs, media companies and tech figuring out like how we treat this in a way yes. that doesn't drive people insane, doesn't like run a file of this and that. Um, but that, that's not something they want to do because it's like, look, I'd rather just get criticized sometimes and keep it behind the kimono, um, you know, because there's so much we don't ever find out about what's going on in, inside of uh, Facebook and their algorithms because they don't share the data.
1: Yeah, it's a beast of a problem because to your point there, yeah, we're talking about certain things are obvious for um, people to put off the platforms where, yeah, whether it's violence or whatever, don't need to be seen on the platforms. Yeah, it gets into the wishy-washy situations when it's like, can this provoke violence? Can this provoke mass hysteria? Yeah, and that's where where it definitely gets messy. And it's going to be interesting to see how... um, because I think Elon replied to someone, yeah, like, uh, I don't necessarily agree with you on this piece of content, but I think deleting it is wrong. And of course, that can be true in a lot of instances, but it, it gets wishy washy, especially with like, yeah, all COVID when things maybe weren't true initially and were uh, suppressed on platforms or even deleted, and maybe certain things became true and little, little truths within. And people really ran with those as examples. Um, Something I liked that platforms did were the warnings. So it wasn't deleting the content, but people could press on them. Reality is people became numb to those and you you weren't pressing on it and actually reading the content. So it's it's just a crazy, tough problem to attack. I, I think that was a step in the right direction though, not taking this content down, but we're gonna put a warning here that, hey, these are some sources where you might wanna flock to instead. I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, I got some warnings on my stuff when I was like celebrating various political races, and it was like, running. "Really, this race has not been called." Oh, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, sorry."
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's like keywords or whatever. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> like,
0: "Yeah, that race was
1: over." Like, <laughs> <laughs> dang, yeah. People would run with that too. They're like, oh, "My stuff got a warning." It's like, yeah, if you just put COVID, ever, anything that says COVID gets a warning, no matter if it's a for or against. Yeah, at least that's how it was on Instagram at a point. If like you put the words COVID in an Instagram story, there was a little warning at the bottom
0: uh so our last discussion item is going to be this happy oh good initiation yeah. <laughs> of a union in <laughs> staten island amazon warehouse yes unionize very very brave uh thank you for doing this for all of us
1: <laughs> can and also just someone over the past few years, so kind of the Starbucks union and all the press around that was the first. It just feels like there's this uprise in unions right now. And I would love to hear like your thoughts on this as well. I think a lot of young people are just getting into the workforce and like the actual importance of unions is kind of something that people are confused about.
0: Yeah, unions are definitely making um, a comeback mm-hmm. after... Uh, like a multi-decade and a multi-generational even decline. Yes. Um, that there was a, I think, writ large, there was a point when unions represented approximately, I think I want to say it's like 40% of the workforce, and then now um, wow. it's, it's down to like 20 or like it, it's gone down half
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, or so. And unions uh, gotten a bad rap. Um, there are excesses associated with unions, but you know what else there are excesses associated with? Amazon. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Um, And and so in the context of something like Amazon the unions are pure good, like the the excesses in unions are frankly more like, uh, you know, teachers unions and some other environments Uh, in the corporate setting, uh, workers are getting exploited uh, very, very consistently. And so people being able to come together uh, is a huge win. There were massive pressures against the people who are trying to organize. Yes. Um, So kudos to them for standing strong. Uh, I'm sure it won't be the last Amazon union because now that other locations will look up and be like, wait, they actually did this in a, in a place and yeah. I think they're going to win some concessions as well. So they are going to be a lot of eyes on Staten Island and the Amazon Fulfillment Center there. I, I will say that I think Staten Island is an appropriate hotbed for this because there there are a lot of uh, independent minded there uh, people there who also benefit from unions. There are a lot of cops and... Uh, Staten Island, a lot of people who, who are part of these orgs.
1: Yeah. And again, for kind of young people getting into the workforce, and this is very empowering in regards to yeah the labor conversations around Amazon the past few years. What exactly is the relationship between like a union and the direct employer versus like a union and the government? Like, where does this coincide?
0: Well, I'm happy to answer. Yeah, I need clarification. So so, so here's the thing. (laughs) Um, So there are various uh, federal rules on the books around unions. They're not enforced very rigorously. Unfortunately, I wish they were enforced more rigorously, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't be uh, fired for trying to uh, start a union, though I'm sure it happens all the time. Like you can't be retaliated against. I'm sure it happens all the time. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Loopholes. And so, if you satisfy certain standards, then you can qualify as uh, a union, um, and then you can negotiate um, for wages, benefits, uh, whatever you'd like under the sun. So that the the so the legal framework is around allowing for organization and keeping employers from retaliating. Okay. Uh, now, if you become a union, um, you then can uh, connect with the Department of Labor, which is the official. Government agency that uh, is meant to support labor and unions and everything else.
1: Okay. I just want that clarification because it's like I understand unions and their purpose within the employer, but I was a little bit confused about, yeah, the government relationship there in regards Yeah, the to...
0: government set up rules saying, hey, like, here are the rules around unionizing. You should yeah. be able to do so. Employers shouldn't be able to discriminate against you and fire you or uh, make it more difficult. Though, again, employers do it all the time. And you know, there were, it was very clear Amazon was doing it in, in this instance. Yes. Uh, and then, if, if you uh, succeed in unionizing, then there's a group of regulators. Uh, there's uh, like a, its own kind of legal um, uh, tribunals. Uh, that they're, they're like the National Labor Relations Board is meant to adjudicate these kinds of issues. So there's like a whole legal yeah. regime that comes into effect.
1: And so. Amazon spent, I know, in the past year it was like four point three million trying to block this from happening. Sure. So what for employers? Yeah, what is the incentive? Of course, like it's just rooted in just not wanting to give the employees power. Or, oh yeah. Yeah, that's just like what. Well, of course, it's rooted in that. But it's like, are there any other things that? really push them to spend that much money in blocking something like this
0: well for for amazon amazon would have spent a lot more than that I no, think sure. because <laughs> you know it's like you look at their workforce around the country it's in the hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands so they mm-hmm. weren't all the unionized um so uh, so i i have some sense of the backdrops of this um so the the union movement arose in the mid 20th century when manufacturing of automobiles and everything else became like major major employer uh, people were getting exploited right and left. Uh and then and unionizing was very, very difficult where uh like auto companies and others would send assassins to like kill union like like it was it was essentially war. Like Jeez. in the in the the streets. Like there was a guy, Walter Ruther, who like got shot in the face at home for being a labor leader. So this stuff was very, very hard fought. Very hard fought. Uh and then when the unions won, it was like this massive culmination of this like movement and they got like these laws um, uh, in place. Labor was a massive, massive force in American life. And then uh, that that time, like the, the things that I'm describing probably completely alien to no, most people. No, this
1: is like, oh, keep going, but I have a comment then. Yeah,
0: so, so labor, and again, there was a point when, uh, you know, like something like 35 to 40% of all workers were represented by unions. Uh, so y- unions were the Course, uh, they negotiated 40 hour work weeks, benefits, all the stuff that a lot of people enjoy, like, uh, you know, all, all these things.
1: I feel like we're about um, to go through this again, to be oh, honest.
0: Oh, I mean, may, like, uh, so I, I sincerely doubt it's going to, uh, because, like, going from 40% to 20% of the population over the last number of decades uh, <laughs> is really significant. Um, and, like, can that reverse in, in this way? I, like, I'm, I'm dubious. Um, I'm happy, again, that this union ha- has formed and I'm happy that there are various, uh, you know, like environments where, where these things are happening. Um, but there there was like this incredible war. Uh, and, and the reason, there are some reasons I'm, I'm dubious now and that like, I, I think, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Like I, I, was, I was thinking that like the, the deck has gotten so stacked against workers that it'd just be like, uh, I, I think it's gonna be, I'm supportive, but, you know, I'm not sure this is the, is going to fix it Mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry so uh so that that's like the great arc it's like there's this massive conflict uh unions became enshrined uh then have been declining for like a 60-year period if you look at for example the martin luther king i have a dream speech yep uh there were union leaders there with him like like there were a lot of folks in that i have a dream speech like union leaders were hand in hand with the civil rights movement the whole thing was like you know, very, very uh, um, much like power to the people. Um, And then like the last 60 years, two generations, it's gone the other direction enormously. Um, Now, is there is there going to be a comeback? It seems like we're seeing something of a resurgence.
1: And this is a preface for another conversation another day, because I think it's something we can talk about for a while. But yeah, we're um, we talked about last podcast, me and Zach, about this disconnect right now between education and the future of work. And I'm seeing a lot of like uh, yeah, younger millennials and Gen Z coming into the workforce.
0: Do you like what a student of history I am, Jules? No, this, like is, that? no this
1: is really interesting because I just feel like that's like history repeats itself. And who knows, I know you, you might you might I not, not, you might not believe that? the same, but I'm just seeing this clear uprise in how Gen Z is viewing work and how even th- there was an article that came out yesterday. I think it might have been the Wall Street Journal again about how uh, Young, uh, young employees aren't doing cover letters, for example, like just completely skipping that part. And of course we see with the great resignation, everything, th- there's just something cooking in regards to this disconnect between education and work and also how the gig, uh, gig economy, passion economy, which I have my reservations about that, piping up. And in regards to if people do become more self-employed, of course the healthcare system in its current form does not work. Nope. for that type of system and there's I feel like in the next yeah this decade towards the end of it more so we're going to see something very interesting in regards to labor conversations because we talked about this earlier that seems like people are kind of tuning out maybe of the next election in terms of polarization a lot of people are depleted but this seems like a something a lot of people are getting behind are these labor and work conversations I'm seeing more and more um,
0: well you would know yeah. I mean you have your finger on the pulse yeah that. I find it fa- yeah <laughs> it would be exciting. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for folks organizing uh, in, in um, certainly in organizations like Amazon. I mean, gosh, like they're ideal because uh, they're made of money. They're super exploitative. A lot of people work for them. Uh, like we all use them, but, uh, you know, know that they could be doing more. So it, it's perfect.
1: Well, you spoke about four day work weeks, too, during your 2020 presidential campaign yeah
0: yeah i'm all about trying to humanize workplaces and uh and and the rest of it uh you know i i really dislike exploitation um and there's a lot of it going on
1: it's going to be interesting we got i think a good future ahead but there's going to be a lot of
0: you're, I mean, Moments. I'm so glad that you're, a, like, you know, a young optimist in that way. But also, see, th- see things very, very clearly. I mean, you, you, yeah, I don't know if I'm
1: an optimist, but like, <laughs> but saying, like, yeah. like you know, part, part of part, part of this entire
0: uh, this perspective is like we're we're kind of standing amidst these uh, declining and crumbling institutions, and you know, what comes next?
1: It, it'll be interesting, but I'm excited about it.
0: As long as you're excited, Jules, I'm excited too. <laughs>
1: yes. I, I think that's all we have today. I think we went over everything, right? Yes.
0: Yes, we did.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
0: Have a great week, everyone.
1: Have a great week.